in a world that tells us that if you're not happy, you can just change your job and your relationship, start a new one, have a baby, get a puppy or five. We are constantly facing change in the pursuit of happiness. And yet, deep down, we resist this so much because nobody teaches us how to navigate transitions. Well, I'm here to change that. Join me and my guests every week to find the inspiration and actionable steps to dive into your next great chapter. Let's write it together. Hello, everybody. This week, I have with me the gorgeous Erica Sauer, who is an incredible empowerment coach, writer, and motivational speaker. Erica, hello, and thank you for being here today. Hi, nice to see you. So I can't wait to hear the story of your life, all the chapters, and all the wisdom that you learn along the way. Ooh, so many chapters, so many was so many lessons. I don't know if it's all wisdom at this point, but um, yeah, I mean, I always say that my my life is a lot like a book. There's been so many chapters uh, that have happened in my life. I started out when I was young and I was an athlete. I played tennis. I played tennis um, in college and a bit on the pro tour. And that was a huge part of who I was when I was a kid. My whole life revolved around it. Um, my relationship to my mom uh, and I, we were travelers. We were always on the road. Um you know, I did homeschooling. I lived at a tennis academy in high school. So a lot of my life revolved around working, you know, like performing, playing tennis, fixing things, making them better, getting better and trying to prove myself, you know, to my family, to my mom. Um, and, you know, actually that pattern kept playing out in my adult years, performing for love. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, you know, homeschooled, I lived at a tennis academy. And then after that, I uh, went to college, I went to USC on a full ride scholarship for tennis, I played there for about a year and a half. And I got a career ending injury, where, um, you know, I stopped playing and I started to do the whole USC sorority girl lifestyle, started partying a bunch, you know, having all sorts of fun with all sorts of people, putting all sorts of substances up my nose, <laughs> uh, drinking a lot. You know, I think after tennis, I went through a little bit of an identity crisis as to who I was and what I wanted. And, you know, I had been told what to do for such a large part of my life. You know, I was playing tennis. I was supposed to be a tennis player. This is what my family told me I was supposed to be doing. This is who I was. And not only did I struggle with who am I now, but more like who's going to tell me who I am now? You know, like it was a lot of like trying to figure out what was the right way through what other people were doing. Um, so, you know, like I said, a lot of partying was going on, a lot of uh, illegal drugs. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think at a certain point I woke up and I was like, well, this isn't working, you know, and um, got a boyfriend, kind of cleaned up my act a little bit. And then post-college, I met my part, my, um, my ex-husband and we kind of danced around each other for like eight years where we 
were in a really toxic codependent relationship. He was struggling with alcoholism. And I always say he was a beautiful mirror of my own addictive tendencies. Uh, you know, I struggled with an eating disorder. I was controlling everything, including him. Um, you know, I'd work out like a Trojan. I was getting Botox in my forehead, boobs done. Nothing was ever enough. I never felt like I was good enough. And, um, you know, our addictive qualities really just bumped up against each other. And we eventually got divorced where I moved from Los Angeles to New York City. And that's where I started this spiritual journey of like discovering myself. Um, it took uh, two extra boyfriends, one who both were toxic, arguably, um, more narcissistic than the first one. <laughs> and that's my perception of it, at least for me to start to really realize that it was me in common with all of these people. And from that space of recognizing I was the common denominator with these toxic relationships that I was participating in, I realized that I had to go inward and do some serious work on myself if I wanted to have some healthy relationships, if I wanted to um, have a healthy relationship to myself, if I wanted to stop filling the void with everything from alcohol to Botox to clothes, it was really about, you know, reconnecting to myself um, I remember listening to this one podcast. Um, I think her name is Sarah Lively, The Lively Show, um, and her talking about how your thoughts create your reality. And I remember really bracing this, embracing this concept. And when I really got it, I was like, holy shit, if I change my thoughts, I can change my reality. Like I don't have to keep acting like this or living like this. Um, you know, I don't have to keep attracting these types of circumstances, these really high, low situations. And I kind of got hooked on the whole, you know, shifting my thoughts, shifting my thoughts, shifting my thoughts, which was interesting too, because it was almost like I went from, um, addictive tendencies that were like alcohol, drugs, clothes, Botox, workouts, vegan food to all of a sudden spirituality was almost addictive for me. I was like, oh, this will make me feel better. This will make me feel better. This will make me feel better. And so, you know, it was kind of, it's kind of been a process and a journey through all of that, but coming to this space finally of like allowing myself to just be, you know, allowing myself to get to a place of acceptance. And um, now I have, I went, well, I went to India. I did the whole eat, pray, love journey. I lived at an ashram for three months. I had a couple eat, pray, love journeys actually. You know, I traveled all around the world. I've lived, spent time, I won't say lived, I've spent significant amounts of time in Paris you know, Cape Town, Tulum, Mexico, uh, India. So I did a quite a bit of traveling and through that really discovered, you know, what was important to me ultimately. And now I'm in a healthy relationship with someone I love and who loves me. And it's, you know, I'm teaching this uh, stuff for a living and it's, I feel very much in alignment with like who I'm actually meant to be. Did that answer the question in a really long way? <laughs> no, I actually feel like you probably edited a lot because there is so much in your life already. It's uh, yeah. fascinating. I did pick up on three things that I'm like, can we please go a little bit deeper, Erica? Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned divorce, addiction, and acceptance. 
three of my favorite words in one conversation. <laughs> so for me, and I'm totally prejudiced, this is one of the few areas of my life where I'm like, I'm kind of close-minded, but I do have a very strong belief that for many women, myself included, divorce was a huge catalyst for yeah. improvement, for personal growth. Even though the experience itself is just as fun as, as giving birth with anesthesia, the result for me was like, okay, now I have this blank template that now I can write my next great chapter. Was that your experience or you think that that had nothing to do with what came after? I mean, I definitely think that, you know, that relationship in my life was really profound and significant and showing me who I was currently being. I always say he was such a mirror of me, you know, like I blamed him for literally everything in my life. Like to, to say we were codependent was, is an entirely an entire understatement, you know, um, it made me really wake up to this truth that like, no one is to blame, but me, you know, it woke me up to this truth that like suffering is a choice. It woke me up to this truth that, you know, we choose to participate in everything that is in our lives. Like we say yes or no to whatever, you know, circumstances and situations that come in. And I was fully saying yes to a circumstance that was exacerbating my darkness in a lot of ways. Like we were, um, you know, completely toxic together. And like, I believe that I, he probably drank more <laughs> because of me. And I definitely felt like I went into my own addictive tendencies more because of that circumstance. And that's not to blame because there is no blame, but I definitely think that certain circumstances either foster the dark side of us or certain circumstances foster the lighter side of us. And again, it's not to make any side wrong. It's just to show you like you get to either participate with this part of yourself, bring this part of yourself to light, or you get to participate with this part of yourself, you know? And I think um, if it weren't for that circumstance, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today. You know, I definitely think that every relationship has been such a learning lesson for me. And it's definitely one of the hardest places in my life. You know, I think what well, I talked a little bit about my relationship to my mom and my mom and I are so good now and we've gotten to such a great place. And that, that took a lot of work, you know, but uh, growing up, the story I created about the, the circumstance was that nothing was ever enough. You know, like I always felt like if I got to the finals of a tournament, you know, I, and it, I did not win. And this was like nationals. I, you know, my mom had something to say about it. She was totally willing to drop me off on the side of the freeway and tell me to walk back to the hotel, you know, when I was 12. And I think in my mom's perception, it was always like, I'm making you stronger. I'm making you better. And she grew up in a family of Italians in New Jersey. And it's like this hard ass approach to life. And like, as a little girl, I internalized that something was wrong with me, you know, and I internalized that, you know, I needed to be perfect in order to get love. And I think, you know, that internalizing of the shame core, this shame part of myself that was never enough. Like I kept showing up in these relationships, like wanting people to choose me, wanting people to tell me that I was enough. And, 
you know, instead they choose the bottle alcohol or they choose other women or they choose to leave or whatever it was. And it wasn't until I started to choose myself, you know, that I ultimately started to get into healthier and healthier relationships. It took time though. And even with my partner now, you know, it's like, I got to check myself sometimes, right. It's like, all right, you're good girl. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think, um, yeah, but like divorce obviously sheds a huge light on what's going on in our relationships. And I think like that first relationship we grew up together, we met, I was 24 years old, you know, I I think we were young and I mean, I loved him very much and I still send him so much love. You know, he's a, he's, he's a great person and going on his personal journey and has to deal with his own lessons in his life. And I think, you know, there was just so much to be learned from that circumstance you know, Mm -hmm. when you said it didn't stop until I decided to choose myself, what is it that you do on your regular daily life to choose yourself? Some people are confused as to what does it mean to put myself first? I've never done that. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think it's actually a lot simpler than we make it. You know, I think we have been trained as kids to not listen to our own needs or wants or desires. And like, I think, um, you know, at least for me as a kid, it was like, I want to play soccer. No, you're playing tennis, right? (laughs) Or um, I I don't know, maybe I want to go to UCLA. No, USC, right? It's like, and like the thing is, obviously it's not as black and white as that, but when we're little, you know, our parents make all of our decisions for us. And some parents, not all parents, you know, do allow you some space and some room to make your own decisions, to choose your own majors, to hang out with who you want to hang out with. But a lot of parents, I think, you know, control their kids so that they feel safe. You know, it's like, no, you need to go to law school because when you go to law school, you'll get a good job and then you'll make good money. And so that's what you need to do. And the kid's like, but I want to be an artist, you know? And, um, you know, it's the same thing with sports. Like, oh, you want to play soccer? No, play, go swim. And so I think we internalize as we get older, that our needs and wants and desires aren't right. Like someone else knows better than us. And I think choosing yourself starts to look like going, what do I need? What do I want? What do I desire? And starting to give it to yourself. And I think especially as women, you know, we've been trained like to constantly be fixing something about ourselves. You know, your body isn't enough. Your face isn't enough. Get blonder hair, put this nail polish on, be tanner, be skinnier, be the, and you know, be prettier. And it's like, we're constantly looking to fix something. And so in that, it's like, we've been trained that it's not enough and we have to be something else in order to get this love. And so like choosing yourself to me really starts to look like, like, you know, what do I want to eat? Because I've been told that I'm supposed to be skinny. So like, I'm constantly saying like, no to this food. Right. So it's like, I can't have this and I can't have that. It's like, but I'm hungry. And like, it's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to let myself eat now. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I feel like instead of answering these emails, I've been sitting at my computer for eight hours. Like I want to go for a walk. Like that looks like choosing me or, you know, so-and-so wants to go to dinner tonight. 
And instead of thinking that I'll hurt their feelings, if I say no, like I'm going to stay home and take a bath. Like that's what choosing me looks like. I have the desire to start my own business and, you know, do something different outside of the box instead of living into my parents' idea that I should be, you know, an accountant, I don't know, whatever. And it's like, and so you do it anyways, that's, that's choosing you initially, right? It's like smaller and smaller things. And then I think in the confines of a relationship, you know, choosing you is like, oh, not revolving everything around your relationship dynamic. It's like remembering that co-committed relationships are about two whole people who do have a healthy level of separateness and togetherness. Obviously there's a respect level for your partner and a communication that happens, but it's like it, you know, when we start to make everything about what our partner needs and especially as women, right. It's like, okay, I've got to be the person who works full-time and I got to make dinner and I got to be the mom and I got to be this, I've got to be at all this like new movement of like the, uh, hyper independent, you know, independent woman. (laughs) So I think like, it's like, well, what do I need in this relationship? Right? Like, what do I need to get all of my needs met physically, emotionally, sexually, um, individually, like what do I need and allowing yourself to have those things and do those things without making them wrong. Mm, the, the allowing is the funky part. It's similar to acceptance. The, okay, I'm going to accept what I can change and I will change and what I can change. I will just have to accept. Um, for me, when it came to acceptance, there was a lot of, it wasn't just about circumstances. It was a lot about thoughts as well and accepting the, the kind of thoughts that I wanted to create. And you said it before, one of the um, beliefs that I have now that were very hard for me to actually first believe and then say, okay, I'm going to give it a try and implement it in my life was your thoughts create your reality. Mm. So accepting that, whatever circumstance I was pissed off about was actually created by my thoughts and my beliefs and then the actions that I was taking. That was mind-blowing. Is that what your acceptance journey um, took you? Yeah, I mean, I think acceptance is one of those tools that we have to learn to foster daily, right? Because I think like as human beings, there's this primal part of ourselves, the biological part of ourselves that wants to survive, that wants to, you know, help when somebody's in pain, who wants to make things wrong that might potentially hurt somebody, right? Because there's this primal part of us, biological part of us that wants to survive. And this is about this like new level of consciousness, right? Like recognizing this primal part of ourselves and understanding that like, it's not necessarily serving us in the now, you know, the the hunter gatherer part of ourselves. That's like, I need to be a part of the crowd and survive. It's like, well, actually I I'm safe. I've got four walls around me. You know, I can provide my own food. There's no tigers outside my door. Like I don't actually have to belong. I don't actually have to stay with this person and make sure that they survive. Like there's completely so many options and resources for me to survive and them to survive, you know, and to choose myself. And so I think we are battling with this piece of ourselves, the biological part of ourselves, the hunter gatherer part of ourselves that wants to survive. And so acceptance for me is like, it's almost just like a daily devotion to accepting 
everything that's going on in my reality. Like that is alignment, right? It's like aligning yourself with the present moment. It's not being happy because things are going your way, but it's choosing your now, you know, it's like, it's this aligning yourself with the present moment. And I think for me, acceptance is like, it's like a death and rebirth constantly because sometimes it's hard to fully accept things when there's this primal part and then a program running, like I got to fix it. I got to make it better. I got to fix it. I got to make it better. You know, like that was my whole childhood. Like my forehand's not working. I got to fix it. I got to make it better. I lost that match. I've got to, you know, fix my backhand. I got to make it better. So I think, you know, it's like, every day taking a minute and just coming into gratitude almost supports the acceptance piece of it. It's like gratitude for, you know, what is currently happening in my reality, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, I think like a lot of us tend to still, even when we think we're accepting, make shit wrong all the time. And it's like, this reminder of this like divine experience that we're having this like say like make it sacred you know like wow regardless of the fact that you know whatever's going on in my financial situation or my relationship it's like I get to have this experience and like how fucking beautiful is that and I think like when you make it sacred or you get into gratitude it like supports this acceptance piece does that make sense it makes perfect sense. I love your version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I did want to touch before we run out of time on addiction. And I don't know how, you know, attached to the world you are, how down the rabbit hole of understanding addiction you got in. But um, whenever I talk about this subject, I always like to ask the question to others that, do you think that everyone has the potential to be an addict or an addict is born, it's not made. Like you are either gonna be an addict or anyone can be one. What is your take on it? I think, and this is like scientific and just my belief system at this point, based on everything that I've read throughout my journey is like all disease is comes from stress. 95% of disease comes from stress. 95% of illness comes from stress. And so I think, to answer that, yes, everyone has the potential of being an addict. You know, 5% comes from genetics, which 5% of illness comes from genetics, which then that illness genetically though was created from stress. So at the end of the day, it's all stress in my perception that creates addiction. And so I think we're all susceptible to it. And I believe that most people in Western society are on a sliding scale of addiction. You know, I think addiction to me doesn't necessarily mean you're just sitting in a corner at home doing cocaine by yourself all the time or drinking all day long. Like we numb in so many different ways, whether that be through events, people, eating disorders, workouts, whatever it is, and TV, binge watching TV. And I think we have a culture that is very addictive and codependent. You know, I think like a lot of people look to even you can think about what's going on with COVID and I don't necessarily want to get into that, but it's like, you know, everybody wants the government or somebody else to solve a health issue that's within them. And then it's like, okay, you fix it, you solve it. And then when it doesn't work out, 
I'll blame you too, you know, which is a very codependent way of thinking and being instead of like taking responsibility for your own health, your own decision-making, your own, what that means to be healthy in your body, you know? And so I think like, yes, everyone has the potential to be an addict. And I think it is a pervasive thing in our society. Yes. Chemically addicted to drugs, I mean, it's like stage one or stage five, like some people are at stage five cancer. Some people are at stage one. And I think the more addicted you are, the more pain there is, you know, it's like on one side of the equation, the more you drink, the more you numb, the more you're, you know, addicted to something on the other side of the equation is just exactly the amount that you are numbing the amount of pain and emotional pain. So some people are here in their addiction and some people are, you know, a little further out in their addictive tendencies, but I think anybody has the potential to go there if they're in enough pain, you know? And so, and pain that they don't want to feel pain that they don't want to feel, because I think addiction goes along with this thought process that like, pain and sadness is scary and not allowed to be felt, you know? So I think, um, cause like, I, I, it's not like I don't feel pain now or sadness. It's like, I've just given myself permission now to be all the parts of myself and experience all the parts of myself. And I no longer numb them, you know? And so I think, um, yeah, it, it kind of coincides with not wanting to feel that pain. Yeah. Yeah, for me, the common denominator for all addictions is that pain that doesn't let you be at peace. It's like, you know, if somebody, somebody has a ter ter terrible toothache, like you wouldn't just tell them, oh, just mantra your way out of it. It'd be like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And I feel that when people fall into addictive patterns, it's because the pain is too constant. So they cannot be okay in their body. And I love that you mentioned Botox or shopping or exercising, because I think that the misconception with addictions comes from people who go like, I'm not doing cocaine. I'm not drinking six bottles of wine, so I'm okay. But then they're doing all these other behaviors that are still trying to find that peace and remove that pain. Because like you said, not very acceptable to walk around this world without being functional because our emotions are, we're giving the space to feel the emotions. It's almost like doing the type of parenting where you allow your child to have the tantrum, even if it's in public, just because you're yeah. not terrified of, oh my God, everybody else is going to think that I'm a horrible human. So let me traumatize my child for a minute here. Just so I teach him the very important lesson that you do not process your emotions, okay? We're a society that just moves along. <laughs> we take whatever drug we need to do it, but keep that shit bottled up. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, I and sobriety to me, it's like, because people can be abstinent from drugs and alcohol and not be sober. Like, so sober to me is like, connected to yourself and your emotions. Like it's a, I have a different perception of it. It's like, I think I've re I think about it in a different way because I mean, and look like everybody's recipe for their sobriety is so different, but like, I believe in plant medicines and I believe in, um, you know, like 
ketamine assisted psychotherapy. Like I believe in this stuff as a means of supporting that cellular function, like removing certain memory from the body and getting out of destructive cellular memory and getting into healthier cellular memory. And I think like certain things can be super supportive of that. And so sobriety to me, isn't necessarily like completely abstinent. And although I believe that that is necessary for some people, you know, but I think like reimagining what it means to be sober and how to be more connected to yourself, to your emotions, to your feelings is really what is needed in society, not necessarily slapping a bandaid on it or just saying like, okay, stop drinking. And I know all these programs focus on inner work too, but I think sometimes we miss the mark when it comes to um, this idea that it's like, you're broken or you're not. You're either an addict or you're not. Like, I think everything is such, it's more gray than that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the extremeness and addiction to intensity is also part of the problem, right? It's like, you're this or you're not, you're broken or you're not, you're either PTSD or you're not, you're either depressed or you're not. Like there are plenty of people who have mentally sick days. You know, I might not be on, on the scale of depression, but like we can feel depressed some days, you know, just like your body gets sick for, and you have the flu, like your mind can be sick for a period of time, but it's like these fine definitions of things. I also think then people put themselves in this box of what they are and think that they're either a project to be fixed or they're fine. And it's like, there's a little bit more to the whole thing than that, you know? And I think, a good question to always ask yourself when you're doing anything, whether that be binge watching TV or going for a run, eating, whatever you're eating is like, you know, what's my intention behind, behind this? Like, is this bring me closer to myself? Does this bring me further away from myself? You know what I mean? It's perfectly beautiful to sit down to TV and watch TV. It's great to have a glass of wine once in a while, if that's your choice, you know, and something that is healthy for you or, you know, good, like you can do it healthily. But I think a lot of times, like our intentions behind what we're doing, you know, if we're working out, it's like, well, I'm fat and I'm gross and I'm ugly. And so like the intention behind that is actually addictive. It's to feel a certain way, right. Versus like, I'm choosing myself. I'm taking care of my body. It feels good to move. I'm releasing stored emotion. Like, I'm moving energy through my body. It's like a more loving thing. That's not, you're already in love. So you're not addicted to the way that you feel. So it's more about the intentionality behind why you're doing what you're doing versus this behavior is right. And this one's wrong. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, that's not it actually. <laughs> you know, so true. we don't need to be so polarizing. It's wide yeah. black. No, there's 50 shades of another color. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, this has been such a good conversation. I have to ask you the last two questions that I ask all my guests. And the first one is, where do you see your next great chapter? Mm, beautiful. Um, it's so interesting. I just got back from Saudi Arabia, Alula, uh, Saudi Arabia, and I was teaching some workshops there and breathwork and meditation classes. And um, it's interesting, like, 
I had this like deep, profound aha moment that I'm ready for a family. <laughs> so like my, my partner and I, you know, a lot of our life has been revolved around our business and creating our business and building our business and all of that. But I think like we're ready for the next chapter in terms of like creating more family and community and connection versus just based more around like building our careers. So that's my next great chapter. <laughs> Beautiful. And where do you see the world's next great chapter? I think we're at this pivotal time right now of like, you know, becoming more conscious. And I think, um, you know, the next great chapter looks like just people either, well, stepping into this more conscious awareness that they're creating their reality like everything that's happening is a, a mirror of the collective conscious you know and I think it's like Eckhart Tolle talks about a new earth you know and reimagining what it is to be a human <laughs> and reimagining what it is to be in relationship to mother earth and I think we're at this time where we're being called forward into a new level of consciousness. And I think that's why it's so challenging and painful right now, because there's all these energies, you know, batting up against each other and colliding, you know, so much power, greed, money, ugh, fear. And then there's like this other side of the coin that's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way, <laughs> you know, like love, consciousness, like equality for all in terms of like, you know, we all get to have what we desire, you know, it's like, but I think the next chapter looks like the next level of consciousness, really, you know, and I think that it might be a little painful to get there, though, <laughs> a little challenging. <laughs> we, we are going through our rebirth so yeah this is gonna be the the pains the labor pains but hopefully it's all worth it in the end yeah <laughs> I, I, mean, I think it will be well it's been fantastic having you here thank you so much where can people find you follow along your your journey uh my main social page is on instagram so that's erica e-r-i-c-a underscore sour s as in sam a-u-e-r uh, my, it's, you can also find my website, ericasauer.com and contact me there. I will add the links to the show notes. And thank you so much for being here. It was such an enlightening conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. And for everybody else, I'll see you next week. Hey, if you're passionate about helping others move to the next chapter and want to join one of the fastest growing industries, I would like to invite you to my upcoming training to become a certified holistic divorce coach. Just head over to olganadal.com and click on the Holistic Divorce Institute tab. I can't wait to meet you inside the program.